Good morning. This is the last Sunday of 2021, and everybody said, it can only get better. We are in 2 Peter chapter 2, if you want to turn to that, reading in the ESV. One more reminder, I think it's our last, if you haven't signed up, For the church directory, there's still forms there in a box in the foyer. We're going to be collecting those, putting them on Planning Center, and making a church directory. So this is your last chance, I think, to do that. So fill them out and put them in there if you would like to be in the directory. 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh uh-oh, just lost my, Sodom and Gomorrah, to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them that day, He was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this promise. Lord, I just ask uh, as we end this year and enter a new year that your Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. Lord, there are so many voices right now through so many platforms to distract and deceive. Father, we cannot do it without your word and your spirit. Father, I just thank you for the gift that you've given us until you return. And I ask that you would just fill us Open our eyes and ears this morning and throughout the coming year. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Kat, you want my phone? There's probably no chance someone will call me on Sunday morning. Unless I keep it up here. If I do that, someone will call me. 
They did that once on a Sunday, and I answered it in church because I figured somebody's calling Jackie on Sunday morning and doesn't know where he is. This should be interesting. And the first thing they said is, what in the world are you doing answering the phone? <laughs> All right, Second Peter chapter 2, we begin Peter's focus on false teachers and how to deal with deception. But you can't divorce chapter 2 from chapter 1. You can't divorce 2 Peter from 1 Peter. So the point is, Peter has laid out for us in, in his writings this, what I call the a, a code of conduct or a holiness code or a, a, an attitude that we ought to have as believers in pursuing our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That, yes, he has saved us. Yes, it's by his grace and through his incredible uh, power that he has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Now, our response is to follow him. Everyone Jesus called, every single disciple, he looked at them and said, follow me, and then he turned around and walked somewhere, right? So if those guys just stood there, what would have happened? Yeah, you're not following them. You get what I'm saying? So this holiness code, this idea of a code of conduct, it describes our pursuit. And last time, if you remember, we talked about there's two things that we need. We need to be empowered by his spirit and we need to be filled with his word. We need to be filled with his word and empowered by our spirit. It's not self-will that accomplishes any of this. Anybody ever had self-will and it, and it worked out? Congratulations. I don't have any self-will because I don't really care how fat I am. So... Christmas time, I sit down and I look at a big old turkey and stuffing and gravy, and I think, you know, I could just have a little, but why? If a little is good, a lot is better. <clears throat> and people tell me, you know, we, we, I have lots of voices in my life. I have, have many mothers <laughs> who catch me wandering around with a monster in my hand and ask me what I'm doing. And... And they will tell me, and, and I understand that it would just take discipline, and those things in my life would change. Well, I don't have it. Many of you have experienced the same thing in your spiritual walk, no? So in our spiritual walk, the discipline we need to follow Christ will come by pouring his word in and being empowered by his spirit. Pour the word in. Be empowered by his spirit. Now, it's not complicated to see that happen, right? Pour the word in, a diet of the word, like newborn babies desire the word. That's what Peter wrote. You, like newborn babies desire milk, you desire the word. It's our sustenance. And what did Jesus tell us in Luke about the power of the Holy Spirit? He said, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to him who asks. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. You want to be empowered by the Spirit. It's not complicated. You don't have to do anything crazy. You just have to ask. Pour the word in and ask. Now, as we fill ourselves with the things necessary to walk 
<clears throat> the disciplined walk of a believer that Peter has challenged us to do, we come to his view on how we are to deal with deception. What do we do with the counterfeits? You ever ask yourself in the Old Testament, how did God differentiate between true prophets and false prophets? Because there was a lot of voices, right? If we look in the Old Testament, you, you see a lot of voices. Now you have Jeremiah, and, and typically, <laughs> one of my rules is they're less real prophets than false prophets. So you, you see Jeremiah, right, preaching to the people surrender. And you have an, a, a number of false prophets who are preaching to the people God's going to deliver. How do you know the difference? Well, these are the things that Jeremiah talked about. These are the things that the word of God teaches us. How we can know. How do you know the counterfeit? You don't do it by studying the counterfeit. Doesn't matter how well you know Jehovah Witness doctrine or Mormon doctrine or a doctrine of some other uh, false uh, uh, set of worship. It matters how much you know the truth. Remember that we talked about the bull with Elisha. You remember? Death was in the pot, right? The school of the prophets trying to make a stew. A group of guys should not probably get together and try to cook. They threw whatever was around the camp and they threw in something and they said, oh, don't eat that. There's death in the pot. You guys remember the story, right? They didn't spend time trying to pick the death out. They poured the meal in. And the meal represents the word. They poured the word in and then the prophet said, now there's not death in the pot. One of the first marks you'll see about a counterfeit is there's not very much of the word. There's not a holding fast to what the word of God lays out for us. Here's what he says, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon them uh, upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. Because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. When Peter talks about deception... He lays out several things that we want to hold on to about these, <clears throat> those who would deceive. See, a false teacher will, will make you make a choice between his doctrine and the doctrines of true Christian faith. And you will do it not even knowing you're doing it. Because they say things you want to hear. And when our ears hear the things we like to hear, we want to hear, it's easy to find ourselves following those ideals, right? And the next thing you know, we find ourselves being uh, turned aside by destructive heresies. So I have a friend that, that this has happened to, who was influenced, and in that influence turned aside from the truth, 
and now preaches destructive heresy. It's not that hard to find yourself down that road. Titus tells us about this <coughs> destructive heresy. Titus 1 verse 10 says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially of the circumcision party. So he's talking about uh, Jewish, uh, uh, at least supposed proselytes who have entered into the church. Here's what he says in verse 11. They must be silenced. Now, nobody likes to stand up and say, heretic, 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 heretic. Nobody likes that. Well, I won't say that. Some people like it. I don't like it. But here it says, they must be silenced. Why? They are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. They are teaching for gain what they ought not teach. People tell me all the time, I've said this a thousand times, I got to eat the meat and spit out the But I got to start to ask myself questions about that. Like, why are you putting bones in here? When Jesus followed the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, what did the devil use against him? Every time, what did he use? Scripture. He used truth. And then what did he throw in it? A few bones. Right? Now what did Jesus do? He responded according to what? He responded according to the word of God. He held fast to the truth of what the word said. He gave clarity where there was confusion coming from the mouth of Satan. Right? So we have the same kind of thing that infiltrates the church today you get you get a little bit of bone a little bit of poison i've used a million uh stories in the past in regard to this my favorite one's the brownies you guys remember the brownie story right if i if i put a little poop in the brownies will you still eat it no it's just a little though Now, I don't, I don't say that just to be crude. I'm just saying, we, you guys wouldn't want any of the brownie, right? You wouldn't want to just spit out the bad parts and hold on to the good? When the Word of God, when Paul writes to Titus, and he's telling Titus how to deal with false teachers, he said they must be silenced. They are upsetting whole families, teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. This is not just their teaching greed. They were making money. They were becoming famous. They were growing in uh, the accolades of the people. But they were teaching what ought not be taught. So truth with a little bit of lie in it is all lie. In fact, he goes on to say, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, says, Cretans are always liars. I love this because this is sarcasm in the Bible. Cretans are, listen to what he says. Cretans are always liars, evil, 
obese and lazy gluttons. And then Paul says, this testimony is true. Because one of them, one of the false teachers is a Cretan who says you can't trust Cretans. And so Paul's being sarcastic. You guys didn't catch that? It takes a master of sarcasm to see it. Listen, verse 16 of, of Titus 1 says, They profess to know God, but they deny him in their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. <clears throat> they come bringing destructive heresies. They use false words. Have you ever run into people who claim to be Christian and use the same terms that we use, but they don't mean the same thing? They also come in under the color of a brother or a sister, but their teaching does not hold to what the word of God says. The Bible challenges us to be like Bereans, right? We remember the story of the Bereans. The Bereans were more noble. Why? Because they received the word of God with all readiness, right? They, they didn't come skeptical. They're like, teach me the word. I want to hear the word. So they are taught the word. And then what they do, they took that word and they searched scripture to say what? Is this true? Anybody can stand behind a pulpit. The fact that I do is proof. Anybody can stand behind a pulpit. Here's an even scarier one. Anybody can have a YouTube channel. Everything you find online is not true. Sorry. Everything you find online, especially things that are a group of sound bites all put together. That's not true neither. You're watching things out of context. Bereans received the word with all diligence and searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. This is, the, this is the path that the Lord has told us to walk down. What else do these false teachers do? Not just deceive, they don't only bring destructive heresies, but they also bring denial. False teachers oftentimes are more easily spotted by what they deny than what they affirm. <coughs> if you only listen to what they affirm, they sound pretty good. They will say things like, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. But they don't mean the same thing I do. Jude, verse 18 and 19 says this, They said to you, in the last time there would be scoffers, Following their own ungodly passions, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Did you catch the last part? Devoid of the Spirit. False teachers are not confused Christians. False teachers are people who are devoid of the Spirit. They are following their own passion. If you remember, one of the things Peter talked about was we are partakers of the divine nature. You guys remember? And as partakers of the divine nature, that divine nature within us, what does it do? It changes our appetites, right? It changes the things we want, the, the focus of our life. Those things shift because now 
this divine nature that the Lord has given us is begins to change things inside of me. I don't want the same things I, I wanted before. I'm not following my ungodly desires, but I'm following the ones he's placed in my heart. Scripture says in the Psalms, you love the Lord your God and he will give you the desires of your heart. He will place that hunger in you for more of tr the true food. And this is, this is what they do. They denied the, the Lord who bought them, Scripture says. Deny the necessity of the vicarious substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. This is so subtle, you're not going to see it. But there will be times where things will jump out at you. Because you're hearing the words you want to hear. Like, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. What a, what a beautiful statement. And then we focus on that. Jesus, he, he came just because he loved you. He loved you so much, he did not want to be without you, so he came. But there's something left out. He came because you are a child of wrath. Under the judgment of God, you will perish in your sin. Except that Jesus Christ come and become sin for you, that you might become the righteousness of God. Except that he become your sin substitute. Except that he become your propitiation. 1 John 2, 2 says, He is the propitiation for our sin, but not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We find ourselves in a time <clears throat> where truth is really under attack from everywhere. Like things that I thought nobody would ever question about being true are under attack. Uh, how many genders are there? Okay. Uh, I, uh, you know, it boggles my brain. It boggles my brain. So truth matters. And we, over the last, I don't know, let's call it 100 years, have grown lazier and lazier with our words. So much so that we'll say, well, it doesn't matter. Jackie, you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I do know what you mean. But this time, in this time we're in, truth matters more than how lazy I can be with my words. What I'm saying matters. The words that are coming out of my mouth, I want them to glorify God. I'm so pleased with the the song Tiffany wrote, Tiffany and Jordan put together because it's straight out of Jude 24 and 25. You don't see the words up on there. Open your Bible. I love singing songs. We opened with a song from Psalm 150. We, we sung Psalm 45. We are, we are trying to make a conscious effort to say we want to sing truth because truth matters. And I don't want to be lazy because it matters that what I'm speaking is clear, right? Does God love you? 
Yeah, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he became our sin sacrifice. But the world is turning away from this call to repent from our sin and turn to a savior. And it's subtle. And you won't notice it. So we have to be diligent. Pay attention to those who would deny the Lord who bought them. There are whole groups that are now teaching that Jesus Christ is not God. He's just a man. And as a man, he gives us the example of what we can do as men full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Little bit of truth, big chunk of lie. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. Now you can wrestle with how that works, right? If you wrestle with how that works, you're normal. What you cannot do is deny either part. If you deny other part, you're denying who Jesus is. You have a different Jesus. You ever have someone who comes to your door, knocks on your door, and they say all these words. They talk about the Bible. They may even use scripture verses. They're talking about Jesus. But after a while, it doesn't sound like the same Jesus you worship. Do you, do you understand that that is not okay? Oh, they use the same words. They don't mean the same thing. You and I have talked about this before. If I say to you, yeah, I, I, I know Eric, and you say to me, I know Eric too. And I say to you, Eric's got a big old long beard, looks like a little bit like a dwarf out of Lord of the Rings. That's just beard envy speaking. But you say to me, no, 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 Eric, he's tall and bald. Are we talking about the same person? Are we using the same word? Does it matter? If I say to you, I'm going to call Eric, and I call the one that looks like the dwarf from the Lord of the Rings, am I going to get the Eric who's tall and bald? If you put your faith in someone called Jesus who's not Jesus of the Bible, Will that save you because it's the same name? Does truth matter? So we need to be aware of truth. And we need to be aware of those who would deny (coughs) Jesus Christ. All false teachers deny him in some way. All of them. They deny his humanity. They deny his divinity. They deny his existence. They all deny something about Jesus. Why? Because there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. What are we being saved from? We're being saved from the wrath of God because you and I are guilty before a holy God of sin that we must repent from. Well, what if I don't agree with God? It's sin. Well, that'll be a problem. No? He's the boss. He tells me what sin is. And then he does not have to justify himself to me. He just asks me, follow me. 
and I am to follow him. It says, many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. They will follow sensuality, licentious conduct. Anybody ever seen, uh, oh, I don't know, people who have declared themselves not to be believers anymore? Who once upon a time were famously believers? Denying the Lord who bought them? Jude verse 4 says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people. They pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. This is not new. Jeremiah talked about it in Jeremiah 23. You guys know Jeremiah chapter 23, right? We should. You probably got a magnet on your fridge somewhere. Uh, Jeremiah 23, verse 14, he says, But in the prophets of Jerusalem I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery, walk in lies, they strengthen the hands of evildoers, so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me, and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. This is God's judgment against the false prophets of Jerusalem. They commit adultery. Now what's he talking about? They may actually be committing adultery, but for sure they're committing adultery by worshiping other gods. We know at the time of Jeremiah, there's an idol in the temple, right? They were mixing worship, uh, true worship of Yahweh with the worship of everything else around them. The Lord calls that adultery. They walk in lies. They say things that aren't true. Verse 32, Jeremiah 23 says, Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness. Wait, back up and hear that again. I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord. And who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness. So to me that implies sharing something that you say is from the Lord. Lord gave me a dream. I want to I tell you about it. And you're sharing it. And not only is your dream a lie, it didn't come from the Lord. But you're being reckless with it. You're not being careful you're not choosing your words well. Because does it matter if we lead someone astray? Seems like there's something in the Bible about that. Isn't there something in the Bible about not leading people astray? You guys ever seen a millstone? Yeah, anybody ever try to swim with one around their neck? So he says, here, listen. <coughs> lead them astray by their lies, their recklessness, when I did not send them or charge them. Now listen, please hear me. I'm not saying that God does not work in dreams. The Lord has worked in dreams in my life. The Lord has worked in dreams uh, between my wife and me. If you've heard my testimony, you may remember a part of it that deals with a dream that God gave my wife. She didn't know. She just was telling me her dream. I knew. 
I'm not saying that God cannot speak in dreams. And I'm not saying that God can't speak to you today. I am saying, do not lie. And I am saying, do not be reckless. There is nowhere in the pages of Scripture where God says, go try being a prophet. Just go wing it. And if you mess up, it's okay. You'll get better next time. God never says that. That is reckless. Don't do that. The Lord says, I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit the people at all. How much did they profit the people? They had a good message. They did. It was very uplifting. In fact, everybody who heard their message rejoiced. The crowds would gather around them and they would clap their hands and they would rejoice over, this is such a great word, thank you. Do you know why? Because it was what they wanted to hear. What did they want to hear? Look, it's going to be okay. They're not going to destroy Jerusalem and, and thing, all things will continue as they have. Meanwhile, God had a prophet who was a true prophet beside them telling them what they didn't want to hear. What was his word? His word was surrender. You're going to be conquered and if you don't stop fighting, you're all going to die. So stop fighting Lay down your sword, surrender, and accept the life of a slave because that's God's judgment on you. So you have two words. Hey, man, everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be all right. God's going to deliver us like he always has. And you have the other side saying, nope, surrender. Give it all. Lay it all down. You're about to be slaves for the next 70 years. Which one are you going to line up for? Which one was true? We live in a time today where deception is everywhere, and it's subtle. There's not people walking around with a pitchfork and red pointy tail telling you to worship the devil. Well, there may be, but that's not who I'm talking about. Those guys are easy. I'm talking about people who are using the truth to deceive. who are being reckless. And we keep excusing it. What did Jesus say in Matthew 7, verse 13? He said, enter by the narrow gate. wonder why. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. A lot of people find the road of destruction. Have you seen that in your life? Well, how about this? Have you lived that in your life? Have you walked the road to destruction? Yeah. Did it destroy anything? Oh, yeah. Everything, both sides of the road. Yeah, it's all inviting and it's easy. Smooth. (laughs) But the scripture tells us, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Okay, hear it again. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. 
You ever had to surrender of something you didn't want to let go? Yeah. A lot of times. The way is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Seven verses later, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? Do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Workers of iniquity. I like that. Workers of iniquity. Workers of <coughs> lawlessness. Look, the, the point is, many people are going to follow them because of the sensuality that they have, because of the popularity of the message, because there's going to be a host, not a few. And they're being deceived, and they don't even know it. They're being lulled to sleep, their consciousness being lulled to sleep, so that they're not being good students of the Word. And the next thing you know, the place they wake up is so far from where they started. We don't want to be there. Because of them, the way of truth is blaspheme. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. There's no shortage of false teachers in the name it and claim it, word of faith movement who are all about getting rich. You would be shocked by how many names are on that list. Some of the books in your library are name, name it and claim it, word of faith people. Lately, they're more and more subtle, more and more quiet. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 2.5, <clears throat> We never came to you with words of flattery, nor with a pretext for greed. God is my witness. If greed became an issue, then forget about it. We're, we're tent makers. We'll make tents. Micah 3.11 says, Its heads give judgment for a bride. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No. He's not. You guys remember Balaam, right? Balaam, a prophet for money. Hey, I'll give you a word from the Lord. Just got to buy a ticket first. I'll pray for you. Got to buy a ticket first. Oh, Jackie, what in the world are you talking about? My uncle, Bruce died of AIDS in the arms of his family because his family, we loved him. And he knew the homosexual lifestyle was a sin and fraught with danger. And once he got AIDS, all of that fun went away. And there was nobody left 
Nobody's standing there. And just so you know, that's not like it is today. Back then, AIDS was COVID. You had AIDS, nobody wanted to look at you, nobody wanted to talk to you, nobody wants you around. They talk about islands they could drop you on. It was crazy. I have a whole part of my family, huge part of my family. If they listen to this, even though I've never named them, they will say, Jackie's talking about us again. They are hardcore, name it and claim it, folk. Hardcore. Positive affirmation. What you speak with your mouth is what you will speak into your reality. God cannot be glorified in sickness. God cannot be glorified in death. God cannot be glorified if you're not wealthy. You're doing something wrong. Repent. So my uncle with AIDS, he, there was this huge healing crusade. You maybe, maybe you've heard of this guy. His name's Benny Hinn. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Benny Hinn had this great big healing crusade. And my family, who is word of faith to this day, they took Uncle Bruce. He's dying of AIDS. Where else would you take him? You take him to a doctor? What's he going to do? Well, lay here. You'll be dead soon. Well, that don't seem like a good alternative. Let's go to a faith healer. So he waited in line. Eventually, they cut him out of the line. And then they denied to pray with him. Do you know why? Because they have no real power. It is all a lie. If they had real power, if it was Peter, James, and John up there, they would have laid hands on him and prayed. If it was Jesus, he might have said to him, my son, your sins are forgiven you. And people may have been shocked. How can you forgive sins? And then we would have said, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk. So my uncle died in the arms of his family, knowing that his family loved him, even though he had been a sinner, just like all of us. He died with love being poured out on him because of his Savior. And he told me, he used to say, Jackie, is Jesus, will he forgive me? Will he forgive me? I don't know if he'll forgive me. And once God gave him a dream. Yeah, it still happens. If your theology doesn't allow for it, I don't know what to tell you. He had a dream. That he was a small boy. Laying in the lap of Jesus Christ in a rocking chair. And Jesus was rocking him, telling him, it's going to be okay. It's not a new book in the Bible. It was just for him. Just for him. It brought him comfort, so he died in peace. And I expect I will see him in glory. Do lies matter? Do you know how many people are in the crowd at a Benny Hinn thing? Do you know how much he makes in one day? One crusade. They... 
use plastic words. That's what the scripture says. False words. That's the word plastos in Greek. It's the word from which we get the word plastic. You ever bought something you thought was good and it was plastic? You know what happens to plastic in the winter? <clears throat> My wife doesn't know this yet. <coughs> oh, there's lots of things she doesn't know yet. I usually wait until she finds them herself. This will be a confession. So we have these plastic, these plastic chairs I can't sit in. What do you call them things? Yeah, Adirondack chairs. You have two less now. So we have, we have these plastic Adirondack chairs. And before we were able to move into the house, we had Adirondack chairs in the house, you know, because our house has been being remodeled for like a year. So they were out on the patio, and I couldn't get down the stairs. And it had snowed, and I was going to shovel the sidewalk so people could walk in. So normally, you could take those things. You don't have to be super gentle. But it was cold. Neither one of those things survived. Yeah, I just threw them over the, there was a wheelbarrow full of salt. I threw them over the wheelbarrow. And they were like in the six pieces, each one. Plastic words. That's what they use. They use plastic words. 2 Timothy 1.4 says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, rebuke <coughs> and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when they will not endure sound teaching, but they will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passion. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Be careful. Because Peter goes on in verse 3 to say, And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their cond condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. There will be judgment for being a false teacher. You think it will be good judgment? Seems bad, yeah? We should be careful. He's going to give us a couple of examples. Let's look at it in verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into Tartarus. Tartarus is a special word. It's a place for the fallen angels. He committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. Did God judge the angels who fell? Yes. Is their condemnation just? Yes. The point is, God has judged the wicked in the past, and he will judge the wicked again. Which angels are these? Well, according to Jude, who talks about the same thing, it says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he kept in eternal chains, under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just like Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities. Which likewise, in the same way, indulge in sexual immorality and pursue a natural desire. Serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Genesis 6. Yes, I know. It's popular teaching now. We get so smart that we're smarter than the Bible. 
We're smarter than the Bible. We're so smart that we know that the sons of Seth, who were supposedly a godly line, suddenly became ungodly and started taking all these women who were ungodly women, because, you know, the woman's always bad, and they slept with them, and their children became giants. Or you can do what the Bible says. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful, and they took them. Sons of God in Genesis, in fact, the sons of God throughout the Old Testament, the Beni Elohim is a term for angels. Now, I'm sorry you have questions. I have questions too. Like how they do that? I don't know. He don't tell us. Did you notice he didn't tell us? He just said, this is what happened. And then Peter, at the time of Christ, right, Second Temple period, are there writings in the Second Temple period that talk about this? Yes, very popular one right now, called the Book of Enoch. Anybody heard of it? Let me settle it for you right now. Book of Enoch is not scripture. But the Book of Enoch helps us understand what they thought at the time of Christ. Right? Was all their thinking right because it's what they thought at the time of Christ? No. But what did they think about Genesis 6 at the time of Christ in the writings of the book of Enoch? It's angels. Crazy. What about the Septuagint? Septuagint was translated into Greek 270 B.C. That's a long time ago, by the way. What did they think of Genesis 6? You know how they translated the word? Angelos, angels. These angels that did not keep their proper domain, God judged them. And he's likening it to the judgment that will come upon the false teachers as well. God judges rebellion, and he judges those who reject his will. So if God judged the angels, and he put them in chains, who are in many respects higher than men, he will judge rebellious men. He gives another example from the ancient world. Look, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Give us the example of the flood. Did God judge the world at the time of the flood? Yes, he gives us the example of the judgment that come upon the world. If he did not spare the ancient world, then he will not spare the false teacher. That's the point. Romans 1, verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness, this unrighteousness of men who do what? Suppress the truth. They suppress the truth. What's the truth? For what can be known about God is plain to them. For God has shown it to them. Verse 24, Romans 1 says, Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring their body among themselves, and they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. If God judged the ancient world, he will judge 
the false teachers. What about the next one? He also <coughs> judged the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Genesis 13, 13 says, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Let's, let's just be totally transparent. So are you. Sodom and Gomorrah was not somehow worse than you and I. Now their sin reached up to heaven and God judged Sodom and Gomorrah for a variety of things. Homosexuality, of course, being at the forefront. Genesis 13, 13 says, They were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Jude 7 says, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, served as an example, undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So Jude makes it clear, right? I know a lot of people like Ezekiel 16. I actually love Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16 also talks about the fact that they had fullness of of time, fullness of food, and they did not care about the poor. That's true. We're guilty there as well. But this judgment comes. Did God judge the ungodly of Sodom and Gomorrah? He did. Will Will he judge the false teacher? He will. He will judge them. But God has reserved the unjust for punishment. He also preserves the believer. He delivers the true. God knows the difference. You and I, we might struggle, but God knows, right? God knows. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we're awake, alive, or asleep, dead, we might live with him. There's no death in Christ Jesus. He's the resurrection and the life. So Peter writes in verse 5, If he did not spare the ancient world, preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, seven others, when he brought the flood of the world on the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, If he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial and keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Is God able to deliver the righteous and the unrighteous? He delivers the righteous to salvation and the unrighteous to judgment. And this is his point about the false teachers. He says they are wolves in sheep's clothes. He doesn't say they're sheep in sheep's clothes. There is this steady progression that takes place. He gives us two examples. The example of Noah. Noah is a righteous man in a world full of unrighteousness. Right? Made righteous because of his faith in God. God delivered Noah and his family from the corruption of the world. And God delivered Noah from the judgment that was upon the world. Right? 
through the ark. He also gives us an example of Lot. Lot is a little weird. <coughs> Anybody feel like that? Lot's a little weird. God delivered Lot and two of his daughters from judgment. But because of compromise, Lot lost his wife, two other daughters, and two sons-in-law, and whatever grandkids they may or may not have had. Because they fell to the false, were not influenced by the true. And I guarantee you, if you and I had an opportunity to talk to Lot, I bet there's some things he'd like to do different. What do you think? Anybody here ever feel that way? You know, I would like to unchoose that choice. I would like to do that differently. Anybody feel that way? But God still delivered Lot, who was righteous. Peter tells us that over and over again. We quickly want to strip him of his righteousness because he's doing, making unrighteous choices. But is there anybody here who's righteous who's made an unrighteous choice before? You know, I bet we have more in common with Lot than we do with Noah. Except for maybe after Noah got back. Scripture lays out for us, right, that Lot was delivered. God's deliverance of Lot <coughs> was less dependent upon his performance and more dependent on his position. Why? Because that's where ours is. Our righteousness is dependent on our position in Christ. And prayerfully... By pouring in the word and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, our performance is getting better. It should be progressing. We should not be drifting. We should not be falling back. We should be pressing forward. We should see these things happen. But the Bible tells us that Lot was tormented about the sin that was all around him. That's not the attitude of someone who has lost their way. Or someone who has abandoned the faith. That's a, that's a testimony of someone who's probably in the wrong place. Right? You ever been somewhere and you look around and you ask yourself, mm, I really shouldn't be here. This is not the place I want to be. So the Bible describes that. And the Bible says God knows the difference. So he delivered Lot. Right? Did he have to? I don't... Uh, I don't, I don't know what would bind the Lord. He, he came down and the angels lay hold of Lot and drag him out of the city. That's weird to me. The angels are like, hey, Lot, come on, dude, we got to go. Okay, well, let me, let me talk to my, my other daughters. And they laughed at him. Oh, come on, dad, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. Maybe some of you have children who laugh at you today. Huh. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly and the ungodly. 
Why does he tell us this? Why is Peter giving this information for us to hold on to the truth about being uh, able to deal with deception? Because Jesus said this in Luke 17. We're going to close right here. Just as it was in the day of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and then the flood came and destroyed them all. <clears throat> Life was just going on as it always has. You're going to hear that phrase in Second Peter chapter 3. Oh, life never changes. We're, we're on the same cycle. We're born, we live, we die. Nothing ever changes. Nothing's ever going to be different. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom and fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who's on the housetop with his goods in his house not come down to take them away. Likewise, let the one who's in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed, one taken, one left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, one left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. I know people use this verse for a lot of different things. But if you pay attention to context, the ones who are taken are described as where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Seems like a bad taking. He's describing God's deliverance of the righteous and the unrighteous. One taken in judgment, the other left. One taken in judgment, the other left. Just like it was in the days of Noah, Noah entered the ark. Everyone who was behind was taken in judgment. Lot left the city. Everyone who was left behind was taken in judgment. There will be a day, the scripture declares, when these things will be judged. Why? Why, Peter, are you laying all these things out for us? Well, I'm just going to share 2 Peter 3.14. Here's what he says. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish. Lord, why do you tell us all this stuff, Jackie? Why do you tell us about false teachers and, <coughs> and the things they're doing and the things they're saying? And why does any of this matter? And why is Peter telling us a thing he's telling us? Because he says, because of this, because you're waiting for this day of judgment. Because there's a day of judgment on the horizon. Right? The Bible talks about it as the day of the Lord. He says, be diligent. That's that word again. Be diligent. Do you say be lazy? Do you say be reckless? What's he say? Be diligent. Is diligent different than lazy? Is diligent different than reckless? Well, let me ask you. If you were hiring somebody to work for you, you want to hire someone who's diligent or reckless? Let's say you're painting houses. You want a reckless guy painting houses for you? 
I'm a reckless painter. I promise you I'll get paint on that house. It'll look amazing. And on every car near it and every bush and everywhere that it could possibly get paint. You want to hire me? Or do you want someone diligent? What's he saying? He says, so be found in him. Be diligent to be found in him. That means be aware that you're not falling for a false teacher. Be aware that you are standing on a truth of God's word. Be aware. Be diligent. Students of the word of God. Because if you are found in him, you are without spot or blemish. And that's the only place that'll happen. So be diligent to be found in him. Be diligent to be found in him. For in him there is no spot, no blemish, or any such thing. Why don't you guys stand with me? Let's pray. Peter's challenge for us to be diligent to be found in him is to be aware that we're not under deception. Be aware that we're not letting things in our life, that the goal of this thing is to slowly draw us to the left or to the right. But the one whom we're following is Jesus Christ. We want to be diligent to do that. So Jude wrote to us that beautiful doxology, now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Be diligent to be found in him. Now unto him who is able to keep you free from spot or blemish. Be diligent to be found in him. Now unto him who will present you before his glory with all joy. will be a day for everyone found in Christ Jesus. Jesus will put his arms around me and he will bring me before the Father. And I will be clothed in his righteousness, not my own. Because I was diligent to be found in him. Peter also said, be diligent to make your election sure. Be aware of what you believe and why you believe it. Hold fast to the truth of God's word because there will be a day. The unrighteous will be judged. And the righteous will have the Son of God (coughs) present them before the Father without spot or blemish. Because at one time, before we knew Christ as Lord and Savior, at one time, we were at enmity with God. We were at war with God. We were enemies of God. We were children of wrath, awaiting his judgment. But Jesus Christ has delivered through his atoning sacrifice. He has brought our way near. So he put and he brings me before the Father and he says Father this is Jackie 
He's covered in my blood. His sins are washed away. He's perfect. And if we're honest, that is a desire we all have. To hear from the lips of our Savior, you're mine. You're mine. So Jesus Christ commands all men everywhere to repent from your sin and believe. To everyone that will confess Jesus Christ as Lord, they shall be saved. with the lips confession is made with the heart one believes unto salvation <laughs> Lord God we thank you for what you have wrought for us and I pray Lord you would make us diligent to stand in the truth firm to the end by the power of your Holy Spirit equipping of your holy word and may you be glorified as we do so. in Jesus name